thank you for tuning into the media ministry of Weston Road Pentecostal Church. We pray that you will be blessed and inspired as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Also, be sure to check us out on the web at www.westonroadchurch.com for all the latest news and info. I want to speak to you today on the subject of revival. Revival. And I know that many people have actually given their lives to studying revival and the moves of God throughout history. I haven't been around long enough to be able to say I've done all of that. But what I do want to share is what I sense the heartbeat of God is doing and how it's beating for his church in this day and age in which we live. Revival, I believe, is, is going to come. And I know that we have young adults in our church that have been praying and fasting until they see revival. And I know that there are churches in our city that are praying for revival in our nation. And I know the history, a little bit, enough of it, that Toronto has been put on the map globally... And I've traveled, and I'll share a little bit in a second, but globally because of the Toronto Blessing. Anyone remember the Toronto Blessing? Like, show me with your hand if you remember. So, not a lot. So maybe some of you are new to this like I was. I had to actually study this. I grew up in Quebec, and I didn't hear much about what God did in the 90s here in Toronto. But out of the 90s, and I'm not here to critique or give my thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs kind of neutral about what God did. Uh, But I do know that something happened, and as a result, many ministries have been birthed around the world. One of them being Bethel in Redding, California. And Spencer and Ashley got to visit them on your honeymoon. And, And again, while they were there, there was a reference made to Toronto and the revival that was here. When I went to Australia in October, a few months ago, and I met with the the pastor of the church, Kingdom City, Um, my sister attends that church. They were 150 people when she got there in 2008. On that first Sunday, they announced that the current pastor was resigning, and they thought, oh my goodness, what did we walk into uh, in terms of church and what's going on here? And, but they felt, you know what, we need to stay because maybe God wants to use us in this time of transition. Well, this pastor came, his name is Pastor Mark, and he's their current pastor today. They were about a few hundred people. Eight years later, not well, nine now because we're 2017, they're a church of about 15,000 now. And they have uh, churches all over the world. And And I'm thinking, that was just in a number of years. But I met with him for coffee on the Monday I was there, and he said to me, and I felt like, who am I to meet with a guy who's pastoring thousands of people, and and I'm just like a nobody. That's really my approach. But nevertheless, he gave me a window of time for coffee. And what he said to me at the end of all this, and my sister was with us, and she, I didn't know, she whipped out her phone, she took pictures, video, and she recorded the audio of our conversation and when he prayed for me. And this is one of the only things I remember without having to listen back is, he said, Toronto, eh? He said, I, I remember 
Toronto being on the map because of the Toronto blessing, the revival that happened in the 90s. But he said, why not through you? And why not Toronto through your church? And, and, I was, and he said, why not again? He said, that was, he goes, it's, it's about time it happens again. And, and I don't think he was just shooting the breeze, trying to encourage me in, in my role as a pastor. I, I believe those are prophetic words that were being uttered. How do I know? Well, because God was already stirring my heart. And I can't tell you the number of times since then that I've heard Toronto and Revival in the same sentence. In fact, two weeks ago, I was in Nashville, and I was at a service, a church that was only three years old, brand new, and they are already at 3,000 people. And they had to rent, they rented out for their third anniversary celebration, the most iconic music hall in Nashville, Nashville's music city, and it was the Ryman. And I didn't know the history of the Ryman until I was sitting there that night. The worship was incredible, passionate, people hungry after God. And then the pastor's wife got up, they co-pastor uh, Henry Seeley and his wife Alex Seeley. And they're, they're from Australia. And they were told when they came over to Nashville... Uh, by friends and whoever else. Why are you going to Nashville? Nashville is the place where ministries go to die. And they were there they were, three years into this new church with over 3,000 people, worshiping in the most iconic music hall in Nashville, and it was packed out. And his wife got up and she shared this. She said, the Ryman, the Ryman... 120 years ago to the day, February 7th, this place was built to the glory of God. This music hall, the most iconic music hall now in Nashville. And she said, do you know how it was started? There was a man named Samuel Jones, a revivalist, who was preaching three blocks away from where we were that night in the Ryman, under a tent. And he was passionate, and he was preaching the gospel. People were getting saved. And there was a man named Thomas Ryman who showed up. Now, he wasn't a believer. He was there to mock what was going on. And he was going to laugh at them and, and do his thing. But he was a very, very wealthy man. You can Google and research all of that. Long story short, he gets saved that night. And then his question is, why are you guys under a tent? We need to build a place to house the revival. And what happened is they built this church, and it had a different name, and I can't remember offhand, but it did not have a balcony. And it just, and they basically filled up to the overflow, to the back of the church. And they said, Lord, stop revival until we have more space. That was their problem. They said, stop revival until there's more space. And instead, someone had a, a God-given idea who said, hey, this place needs a balcony because there was a lot of space. The, the ceiling was very high. And actually, I, that night I was sitting in the balcony as a result of someone's vision for that place. And there I sat hearing this story about revival. And that place was filled. The balcony was filled. And fast forward 120 years, as I was there that night two weeks ago in Nashville, and this is what they said. They said, Nashville is known as Music City, but tonight 
we're, we're declaring over Nashville that it is now worship city because it is God's city. And, and that church called The Belonging used this phrase while I was there. By the way, they showed a video of the last three years telling the story of their church. And in the video, there was a preacher, and I, it didn't say who he was, and he talked about the Toronto Blessing. The revival in Toronto. He said, when I was there, I remember in Toronto. And I, here I am listening. And this is on the screen. It's a video. And again, God is just dropping a seed in my spirit. And I thought, Lord, either I'm crazy or you're actually trying to prepare our hearts for what you want to do. And some of you may say, yeah, you are a little crazy. And that's okay. Because it takes a bit of crazy to trust God fully. And... And I believe that God is speaking to us. So for me today, uh, on this subject of revival, I don't know everything about revival. But we'll look at the word in Isaiah chapter 6 in just a second. But here's what I do understand. Before we can ever expect revival to touch the city, it has to first touch us. Before we can ever pray and desire to see our city changed, we need to see God change us. Can somebody say amen? See, revival is, is a fun topic because we get excited, we start dreaming differently, but the reality is it takes sacrifice. That's what I'm learning as I study revival. It takes willingness. It takes, a, it's like birthing a baby, and I've never done that either. But I know it takes, it's a lot of, it's painful, it takes a lot of sweat, a lot of work to, to get that baby born. And revival is no different because this is God birthing something in His church. Why? Not so we can be blessed, but we are blessed so that we can go out and touch the city and change the city. Can somebody say amen? Revival means to live again or to awaken that which was not awake before. To bring the dead back to life again. We sang it today, the resurrected King is resurrecting me. Revival has to start with me before it can ever reach everyone else I desire for it to reach. And so my prayer today as we talk about revival is that God would start birthing something in our hearts. There's a stirring going on. And really my responsibility is just to make sure that I'm communicating the heart of God on this subject. I don't know all the answers about how will it look like, how will it sound like. But I know that revival will have a sound. And that's why I've been saying, Weston, this is the sound. This is the sound. And it's the sound of worship rising up. So there is a sound to revival. And I know that we're tapping into something. Let me say this. We're going to get to the Word. It's just God is reminding me of all these little things. Last Sunday, I don't know if you were here at 1030. But I could rewind in my memory to maybe about a year ago when there would be about only eight people or so in the sanctuary. And I would get up here faithfully as if the room was full and say, would you stand to your feet, church, and and let's start the service. Last week, I did a rough, quick count. We're already 40 people in here at 1030. Again, either I'm crazy or God is stirring our hearts for something greater. I mean, it's not as many as we are right now. But 40 is, I don't know how much percent, someone, if you want to do quick math, from 8 to 40 is how much percent greater, increase. 
Someone with a phone. What? Five times greater. There you go. Quick math. Five times the amount of people than maybe a year ago. God is stirring something. God is stirring our hearts. God is stirring our hearts. And here's the thing. I don't want anyone to miss out. I don't want anyone to miss out. And I'll say one more thing. We're gonna, we have to jump to the Word. Maybe you attend our church, and I'm so happy you do. Maybe you go to two churches, or maybe you don't, and you're kind of here, and you're not sure. Jesus is, our, is the center of this church. That's why I have no problem saying I'm nobody and I'm nothing. I'm just the willing vessel, again, who's crazy enough to get up here every Sunday and say, Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. Take my hands, take my feet, touch my mouth, Lord, speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. And, and that's my prayer. I'm nobody special. But here's the thing. It's hard for anything, and especially anyone, because we're talking about people, to grow if you're never planted deeply or firmly into, into good ground. So if you have a church, or if you're contemplating, I pray God reveals it to you. Why? So you can get planted, and you can grow. And listen, I'm not even saying this is necessarily the best place for you. I'm just, I'm being honest. You can find probably a better speaker you can find better sound. But you know what? The reno is coming too. So that will get fixed and addressed in Jesus' name. But the reality is this. This is a great place if you have no other place. And, and we are going to be faithful to give you Jesus and nothing but Jesus. And we are faithful to teach His Word, not a man's opinion. Why? Because quite frankly, my opinions don't match up to anything much. They don't amount to anything. There are way smarter people in this room than me. But all I'm here to do is to declare what the Word of God says and to be willing to be His mouthpiece. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to Isaiah chapter 6? I know that's a, an unusually long introduction, uh, but I wanted to just get that out in front because now when we get to Isaiah 6, we're just strictly dealing with personal revival. Personal revival because it has to start with me. It has to start with me. So Isaiah chapter 6, if you have your Bible, would you mind standing for the reading of God's Word? Because we honor this Word. We heard this weekend at the retreat that God says about His Word that it's God-breathed, right? And when He formed man, He spoke everything into existence. But when He created man, Adam, the Bible says that He breathed the breath of life into him. Anything that God breathes into existence is alive and active. And so if God breathed His Word, then we, this is alive this morning. So we're holding a powerful live voltage weapon in our hands. So Isaiah chapter 6, if you're there, say amen. Verse 1 in the New Living Translation says this, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. I'd love to see the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with the burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, you would bring revival to every heart that is here today. No matter the stain of our sin, bring your revival, your awakening now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 1, Isaiah says, in the, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. What a beautiful way to start. You see, the first part of this passage tells us about God's glory. Talks to us about God's glory being revealed. So point number one, glory revealed. Glory revealed. Isaiah sees the Lord. Verse 2, he also sees in verse 1 that the train of his robe filled the temple. And then in verse 2, we come and we see this mention of the mighty seraphim, these angels, each having six wings. With two, they cover their faces. With the other two, they cover their feet. And then they flew with the other two. And I want to draw attention to what they actually are calling out with their mouth in verse 3. And this is what it was. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory. The whole earth is filled with His glory. I make reference to September of last year, and I'm going to do it again. It was spoken over our church that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. The glory of the Lord will be revealed through Weston Road. Through Weston Road. See, that's what I mean. The glory of the Lord being revealed. When I was in Australia... One of the breakout sessions at the conference I I sat in talked about revival. And the definition that was given is revival is simply this, God's glory resting on a city. My mind raced back to September and and the glory of the Lord will be revealed through Weston. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. Again, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? Revival is God's glory resting on a city. God's glory resting on a city. And you see, as these, as the seraphim are singing this, they're actually echoing Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. There's a, an incredible scene of worship that kind of like the curtain is being pulled back and we can see into eternity in heaven. And the angels are singing. They're singing and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so the angels are worshiping around the throne. And one day we're going to worship 
with them as well. And the glory, could you just, I can't even envision what that might feel like. And here's the thing, 10.30, we start worship here. You know what this actually is? This is just the rehearsal for what we're going to do forever in heaven. So if you have a struggle at 10.30 to worship, what are you going to do in heaven? When that's what we're going to be doing, worshiping around the throne. Maybe, I'm not talking about music and preference. I have a preference. I like jazz music too. I, I like many other styles as well. But worship is much more than the song, the beat, the notes. Worship is about the object that we are singing about. He's the object of our worship. We sing to Him. So you might not like the music, but you know what? You, you might say, yeah, yeah, the resurrected King is resurrecting me. Amen. And you amen what you read on the screen. And maybe you start singing. Why? Because it hasn't hit your heart yet. But then once the message of, of a song hits your heart, guess what? It has the ability to become your anthem. I don't know if you understand. Anyone understand what I'm saying? And I remember there are certain seasons in my life where certain songs were like, yes, yes. You know what the phrase for me is? When I see name above all names, I just, I'm like, yes, Jesus. There's no greater name. All things are, po like, these are all the, the things that I begin to, I'm like, I don't even sing sometimes. I don't even sing because I just go off in my worship of saying, Lord, yes, you are good. Thank you, Lord. There is no other name. And then I'm like, oh yeah, we're at the chorus. I'll join back in now. And then there are these moments in worship where I just have to agree for a second on what we've just declared. And then I claim it and I declare it over what I'm going through. You see, worship is a powerful thing. And God's glory is, is tied and it's woven into worship. It's woven into our worship. Why? Because the glory is revealed. We, we pray for an open heaven. What happens? We say, Lord... Let your glory fall in this place. Let it touch everyone. Let it, let it change us from the inside out. So number one, glory is revealed. And I want to draw attention to this one phrase. They were calling, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. But here's the phrase. The whole earth is filled with His glory. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Look at verse 4. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And again, the entire building was filled with smoke. In your life, God wants to take residence over every part. He wants His glory to be revealed in your life in every area. And how do we know this? Well, we're going to look at what happens now with Isaiah. Because he has a response. You see... Number one, glory is revealed. But in the process, point number two, sin is revealed now. And this is where some of us might get tripped up and we get uncomfortable. Why? Because in the presence of a holy and righteous and mighty God, we're, we're encountering His glory, His presence. And now all of a sudden, we come to terms with reality that I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. And in verse 5, here's Isaiah's response to glory being revealed. 
Listen to what this says. He says, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. Stop there for a second. Is that the kind of response we thought would happen when we experience God's glory? No, maybe we're thinking, this is awesome. Yes, more, Lord, more. Some of us are there. But the reality is, revival starts with who? With us, with me, in my heart. And when God's glory is revealed over the city, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think will happen? Light exposes darkness. When God's glory is revealed, I realize, woe is me. I'm a sinful man. And that's why I need God. That's why Emory Village and our city of Toronto needs God. Because we recognize when there's a light shining now, wow, I've fallen short. And here's what he says. He says, I'm dirty. Not only that, he says, I have filthy lips. And I live among a people with filthy lips. Isn't that true of the day and age which we live? They consider nothing sacred. And you can hear every church word as a swear word in Quebec especially. I grew up there. So as a kid, I didn't understand. I'm like, why are they saying all these church terms in French? And then my, my parents had to actually tell me in Quebec, this, it's so weird. So maybe this is like over some of your heads. But they take the cup and the host. Those are swear words in French. Because in Quebec, there's this separation of church and state. There's this negativity towards what the church has done, the Catholic church in particular. And so those are the swear words I grew up hearing all the time. But then we would say them in church in English. And it was, I was, I'm like, is this weird? Because in one language, it's swear word. And in the other language, this is a good thing. It's a holy thing. And it was really bizarre for me to try to think about that. But here he is saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. And not only that, but he says that I, I live among people with filthy lips. You know what he's actually saying? He's actually admitting that, oh, wait a minute, I'm no different than the world. I'm no different than the world. I have dirty lips. They have dirty lips. And I live among people with dirty lips. Are you different than your coworkers? Are you living differently? And maybe you're not right now. I'm not here to bash you. But I'm saying when glory is revealed, our sin is also exposed and revealed. And we realize, wow, I never saw it quite like that. But there are some areas in my life where I've missed the mark. That's what sin actually means. Missing the mark. And then with all of that comes this feeling of being unworthy. I'm unworthy, God. I'm unworthy. And he has all these excuses. This morning, I want to ask, what's your excuse? What's your crutch? What's your hang-up? What's your sin? Let's call it what it is. If there's sin in your life, don't call it excess baggage or things that hinder me. And we have a way of candy coating. There are some churches that don't, won't even mention the word sin. They just call it something else that sounds less heavy and I understand sin is, is hard to deal with. Why? Because it separates you from God. But I need to call it what it is. Remember, if the word calls something sin, this is what it is. It's not my opinion. I declare what the word says about, about those things. 
So whatever it is, if it's sexual immorality, you're having lustful thoughts about someone else, and, and an affair is even creeping in, and you're entertaining thoughts like that, in the name of Jesus, stop. That's sin. It's sin. Pornography. I mean, I don't even remember what the current stats are, but billions of dollars are spent on porn and subscriptions and things like that. Yeah, you can hide it from a spouse, from children, from people at church. And you could even come and raise your hands. But listen, when glory is revealed in your life and you have that encounter with God, it will all be revealed. Not maybe publicly even, but there are certain circumstances or instances where it has been public. Ashley Madison, for example, people committing suicide because... They said now it was like an affair website. I don't know if you all remember that a couple of years ago. I think it was by now. And people thought, if my name is seen in public, I'm shamed and I'm done. CEOs of corporations even had their names in there. And I believe even some pastors, ministers, suicide was the result for some of them or the decision they chose in how to deal with this. But sin is revealed. And it has... It leaves with this feeling of being unworthy. I'm not worthy, God, in comparison to your presence. I'm not worthy, God. I'm not worthy. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 8. I don't remember if I put it on the screen, but you can turn there. We, we talked about this a few Sundays ago where there's this great catch of fish with Simon, or Simon Peter is his name. And they fished all night, caught no fish. Jesus now says, go deeper and cast your nets. They take in an incredible two boatloads full. It's like ready to sink. They barely make it back to shore. That's the blessing and overflow of God. But look at Simon Peter's response. Glory being revealed, being poured out. And then Simon Peter, verse 8 of Luke 5. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. I'm such a sinful man. That's not kind of the response that I would anticipate when God brings His blessing and provision, when God lets His glory rain down freely on people. But see, there's, there's this thing, and we have to deal with it. We can't just bypass this and move on with the story. Because for revival to take place, you see, one of the key things that is linked to revival, true revival, I personally believe as I read Scripture and as I study, is this true revival accompanied with that is true repentance. True repentance. And I, I've been, I've watched revival services on, on the internet, ones that have gone on for many days. Again, I'm not critiquing or criticizing, but I always look, are people being saved or is this just people getting hyped up and happy? The fruit of revival has to be that people are being saved. That they're being confronted with sin. Why? Because God desires that none should perish, right? He's giving more time, 2 Peter 3.9. He's giving more time for people to repent. He's not being slow about His promise to come back for His church. He's willing that none should perish. So if God's going to bring revival and show His glory, and if He wants to use Weston then amen, so be it. But I'm just saying, we need to be ready. 
and there's sin. We have to deal with the problem of sin. But I want you to know this. Here's the good news. It's not in our own ability to deal with it. Amen? It's not in our own ability. I can't fix this problem of sin. That's why God had to send His Son, Jesus. Because He knew we needed a Savior. And it's by His blood that we are forgiven of, of our sins. Check this out. We're still in verse 5. I'm a sinful man. I'm doomed. It's over. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy, filthy lips. And here's this beautiful phrase right after that. Yet, I have seen the King, the Lord of Heaven's armies. I want you to know God's desire is to redeem you. Personal revival is because God wants to redeem you. He wants to even restore, I believe, the years that the canker worm has stolen. Those years where you were fumbling in darkness, wasting time. God can restore. Maybe it was money and you blew it all away. I know stories of people who blew all their money away, lost their car, lost their house. And as a result of gambling and this addiction, they lost everything, including their family and children. Stumbling in the darkness. I believe God can even restore those situations and those years of wasted money and, and, and a lost family, a broken family. Yet, he says, I have seen the King. God wants to reveal himself. And I want you to know this morning, I'm spending the most time on this point. It's important. God's plan was not designed for you. You're not an accident. You were designed for God's plan. That's what we learned this weekend. I had to fit it in because it's so true. God's plan was not designed for you. You were designed for God's plan. That's why God sends His glory. That's why God wants to get rid of this sin habit in our lives. And here's the best part. God's not afraid of the dirty areas of your life. God's not afraid of the dirty areas of your life. After all, He got His hands dirty when He formed man from the dirt. Amen? God's not afraid of the dirty parts. Why? As He's admitting, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm sinful, I'm doomed. He says, yet I have seen the Lord. God shows up. God shows up. He's not afraid to get His hands dirty to redeem you. I don't know about you, but I, I find great encouragement for that. Someone say amen. Number one, glory revealed. Number two, sin revealed. But number three, guilt removed. Guilt removed. Remember we said there's this feeling of I'm unworthy, Lord, of this. And, and, and we come to this realization. But now we see the glory. Uh, we see the guilt is removed. Notice that God initiates the process to get you clean. God initiates the process. Well, how, do, how can you say that? Well, before I ever loved Him, He loved me. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And so in this case... Isaiah has this fresh understanding now that I'm unworthy, I'm unclean. And then verse 6 says, Then the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. Verse 7, He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin. You see, the seraphim made the first move 
took the coal with the tongs to go and touch his lips. And it's a symbol of the cross, the picture of the cross where Jesus, before we ever loved him, he loved us and was the answer for our problem of sin. Fire in your life has the ability to burn up and to purify what doesn't belong. And that's why that symbolism of the coal touching his lips, it was burning away the dross. It was burning away the sin. And now, of sorts, it was branding him with a new identity. You see, Isaiah is a prophet. What, what tool does, does he use? His mouth. He speaks on behalf of God. And so you see the correlation? He said, "My, I have dirty lips. How can God use me? Yet, what did God purify? His what? His lips. Did you see the connection? The specific area that Isaiah identified as being unclean, the coal now touched and cleansed him, which is the blood of Jesus in our lives. I want, I want to say this, and I've said it a few times. I'll remind you. The blood of Jesus will not cover what you don't uncover. What does that mean? Well, if there's a specific area of sin in your life, and you think, I'm just going to hide this dirty part from God, but everything else, I'm good, God. And he's saying, I'm not fooled. See, the blood of Jesus doesn't care about the good part of life. It wants to be applied to the dirty sin part, where it needs to be healed, forgiven, and the guilt of that sin is removed. Amen? And so... There's reference in the Bible to our sin being like crimson stain. It's just, it's a stain. Think of snow and when a dog pees, right? It's like, that's the area where I'm not going to eat the snow, right? We have to see sin in the same way. It's like a blank white canvas, but then there's this big blotch and we can't hide it. It's, it's, it's obvious to God. What he says is my blood was shed for the remission of your sins. And so he wants, to, he wants his blood to be applied to the specific area of your life. Here's the reality. The angel knew exactly where to put the coal. God knows exactly where, where that forgiveness needs to happen. My question is, do you want him to do the work? Do you want your guilt to be removed? You don't have to walk around going, oh man, I don't know if God will ever forgive me. He's already made it possible through the cross. Number four, moving on, because we have to. Godly request. There's a godly request. After guilt is removed, there's a godly request in verse 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? And who will go for us? You see, as we talk about revival, I believe that's the question God is asking. He's saying, Who can I entrust this glory, my glory to? I want, it to, I want it to move. Here's the thing. You say, well, if God wants to bless Toronto, He can do it Himself. I don't believe that that is true. I believe that God wants to use His church, that we usher in the glory of God, and then we, in turn, we got to get it outside of the walls of this church to touch the city. And I believe when true revival comes, it's not just the church the church, we are just the conduit by which revival comes. See, true revival has to change the city. That's the litmus test. True revival has to change the city. 
And so here's the thing. It's going to require you and me. So personal revival here. And then it has to go out there and change the city. That's how we'll know. So there's a godly request. Whom should I send? And here's the reality. God's always got a heart for the lost. God's always got a heart for the lost. Or else he wouldn't have to ask those kind of questions. Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? I believe that question is still applying to us today. And God is saying, which church, which individuals are ready to go? Who could we send? And, and when people and pastors have said that, why not through you? I was like, yes, Lord. Yes. So then number four, there was a godly request. But number five, there was a godly response on behalf of Isaiah now. And his tone changed completely from, woe is me, I'm sinful. And now, in verse 8, we also see him reply. And he said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And I don't know what your fear is. Lindsay had a fear, but you conquered it today. You stood up here, finally. And I believe God is asking as a church, are you ready? Are you ready to respond? Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. What I love about this story is that Isaiah is like you and me. Because he had excuses, legitimate excuses. Lord, how can I speak? I'm so dirty. But God wants to heal you. God wants to forgive you of your sins. You need to repent. And as you do that, now that you have emptied yourself of the guilt, the sin has been removed, you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, the reality is you're a worthy candidate to be used by God. God doesn't look for special people. What did I say? I said, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I'm just crazy enough to say, here am I, Lord, I will do it. Sometimes my wife looks at me, she goes, and she says that, she goes, I don't know what you see in the spirit realm, but you have a lot more faith um, than I would to, to be able to stand up here and to declare what you, de- what you do declare. And I'll tell you why. It's because I'm not looking with, with my glasses. I can take them off and everything's blurry. But I'm looking through the eyes of the Father. And His heart is beating for, for souls, for people. And here we are. I mean, we're sitting in comfortable pews. This place is going to look brand new. I'm believing by the end of this year, the rentals will be done. And it's not so we can just sit here and be happy. (laughs) Sorry if that's what you thought it was. I mean, we will enjoy it, but it's for people. We're getting the vessel ready to say, Lord, do it. Lord, here we are. Send us. We're going to sacrifice money, time, energy to get this place ready so that when revival comes, we're going to be ready. One of the biggest hurdles is the internet also in our building. And Vince has a file this big about our internet problem. And we're still waiting for a solution because I I know media is going to be a huge moving forward. Media is already big now, but imagine in two years, uh, live streaming services, all of those things with our internet that we have currently, it's not possible to be able to do all of those things, which in a year or two we will probably need to do. Um, We need to steward the gifts well that God has entrusted to us as a church. What does that actually mean? It means you. God has deposited gifts into each one of us. So I'm here to say when when God does send His revival, 
we're just saying, Lord, we are willing. Here, here we are, send us. But now you have to activate your faith, church. Because it's not, I can't do it alone. God needs Weston Road, the family, to rise up. Amen? Some of you are not convinced yet. That's okay. That's okay. I, I know God is speaking. And, and God is going to stir our hearts. And here's the thing. Some of us will not get it until you begin to see it. That's what God is preparing my heart for. Some of you will just, you'll still come and you'll be faithful, but but you just won't get it. Why? Because you're processing it with the mind when God is saying it takes faith to see the unseen. And so when I speak here and I declare that we will see this place filled to the overflow, it's not with my human eyes that I speak it. It's with faith in my heart and it's, what I'm sensing God is, is, is preparing us for, and I'm speaking it, I'm declaring it over our church. We will be a worthy candidate or a vessel that God will use to bring revival to Toronto. It is the heartbeat that I've been hearing over and over and over again. This message might not tickle your fancy, but that's okay. But when we, a year from now, look back and we want to remember this Sunday, when this was spoken over not just our lives, not just our church, but over our city, we're going to be amazed at what God is doing and what He has done. Because it all started with a, a seed of faith in our hearts to believe, yes, God, you are speaking and we want to be a part of it. Would you stand to your feet with me today? Thank you, Lord. I know there's a lot of commotion. I'm, a, I'm very aware of the time and I don't care. And I don't care. One thing as, as we get to the Lord, as we go to the Lord and close in prayer is this. You might be wondering, what does revival look like? To be honest, I don't even know. I can go on YouTube and type in Brownsville Revival and watch a lot of videos. I can find older videos and see stuff documented. I've even seen a lot of weird stuff around revival. And as a church, I want to reassure you, I might be crazy, but I'm not weird. I'm, I'm crazy, but I'm not weird. And we need to steward it well. And that's my responsibility. And I want you to know that we want to see the gifts in operation. We want to see signs and wonders. Because that's what the Bible says will accompany them that believe. But it has to be orderly. And God has given me the responsibility to lead our church. And I reassure you as the leader, God appointed leader, that I'm going to steward this gift well. That God will use our church to do great things. And I ask, Lord, what, what will revival look like for us? I don't think it's actually going to be, you know, every single night we're going to be here. Because I know some of you are thinking that, oh my goodness, 24-7 we're going to have to be at the church. I know it, that's what it looked like. But the way I think, and again, this is just me trying to understand what God is showing me. What I think it's going to look like more is we come here, we get filled. But we're going to go out. Revival happens in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the schoolyard. Where it's, where it's like, you need healing? In the name of Jesus, be healed. To me, that's what this revival, this era will look like. It's actually not the church is us, the people, not this building. 
So revival, when it comes and it hits our lives, it's going to go wherever you go, wherever we go as the church. And I believe that just that's the only picture I have of, God, what will it look like? Yes, we'll have great times in church Sunday morning. We're going to know God is on the move. I already know He's on the move today. I'm not speaking future tense. I'm speaking it's the already. And what's going to happen is we're going to leave this place and revival goes wherever we go. That's why revival, true revival, has to touch the city. It has to change the city. But back to the beginning, revival has to start with you and with me. Personal revival. Isaiah chapter 6. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Would you close your, close your eyes, bow your heads with me? I just sense the Spirit stirring the atmosphere. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we give you this moment. Lord, we haven't heard a sermon. I believe we've heard the heartbeat of God for our church. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts for revival. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just want it because it feels good and it sounds good. Lord, it takes a lot of work and responsibility. But Lord, if, if this is what you are speaking over our city, Lord, please use us as a church. Lord, we want to simply be crazy enough to say, here we are, Lord, send us. We are willing to be your hands and your feet, God. But God, revival has to start with us. So Lord, even now as I pray, Lord, as your glory is revealed over every life, God, I pray that you would expose those areas of sin that would easily hinder the progress, that would slow us down and help and cause us to lose our momentum. And God, what do we do when we're confronted with sin? Well, Lord, you've already sent the remedy, which is Jesus Christ. And so if there's anyone here today, you are bent with the weight of your sin. Give it to Jesus now. He already made the way. He already made the way. And Father, I thank you that when we apply the blood of Jesus to that specific area in our lives, Lord, the sin is forgiven and the guilt is gone in Jesus' name. So God, we thank you today that this is what you desire, personal revival, a new awakening. What once was dead is now back to life in Jesus' name. And so I speak life over every person now. Lord, I speak life to dead dreams even now in Jesus' name. And I speak, Lord, that you would bring back to life, Lord, those areas that have been dormant for far too long, whether they be spiritual gifts that you've given uh, one person or a family or, or the whole church, if, it, if it's that. In the name of Jesus, we speak life. We speak life. And God, as, as we come back to life in those areas... Lord, let us hear the call coming from heaven. Who will go for us? Whom, who can we send? And Lord, let, may our response always be, Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, send me, God. Send me, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would call someone here to the nations. I pray, Lord, that you would call young men and women into the ministry. In Jesus' name. They might not even know it today. But Lord, let that seed be planted today. Lord, lawyers who will do justice according to, not the system, but your word. 
in Jesus' name. Doctors who, yes, rely on medicine and practice, but also the power of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Father, everyone, as we leave this place, may we be your hands and feet, ready to do the work that you are asking us to do. And so, God, I just thank you. I'm at a loss for words even as to what else I can thank you for. But, Lord, I thank you for this season that our church is, is approaching. And, Lord, I know that we are just at the tip of it. We haven't even seen the fullness of your glory yet and how you want it to be revealed. But, Lord, I'm just here to stand on behalf of our church and declare that, Lord, we are a willing vessel. Lord, as Weston Road Pentecostal Church, we are a willing vessel. God, if, if you so choose to use us, Lord, as I've been hearing from different areas in different cities and in, in different countries about Toronto and revival, and why not through us? Why not through our church? Lord, I just say, Lord, if that's your will, let it be. Let it be, Lord. If it's you, let it be. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We're challenged to the core today. We're challenged and we thank you, God, for it. And I pray now a blessing over all of us as we leave this place. Be God's hands and feet extending to this hurting and broken world that desperately needs to know there is power in the name of Jesus. There is hope in the name of Jesus. And there's salvation in nobody else but Jesus Christ our Lord. Bless you. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you as you go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week. Be in prayer. Get ready as God will use us. Next week we have TJ Malkanji here with us. Friday nights.